Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hi, I'm Alex Grodnick. This is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today we're talking with Nipur Patel. Nipur just got his MBA from HBS. And before that, he climbed his way up working as an analyst for two different investment banks. Nipur just launched a pretty cool new business, which he will tell you all about. Just before he does that, I'm going to tell you all about the courses that Wall Street Oasis has to help you prepare and ace those interviews. From investment banking, hedge funds, private equity, and consulting, these courses have all the info you could possibly need. There's case studies, mock interview questions, and it's all crowdsourced from the site's 400,000 members, which are constantly being updated. Check them out, and be sure to say podcast is where you heard about them. Okay. Hi, Nipur. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. Happy to be here. Yeah, so you and I met last summer when we were both doing our MBA internships in Los Angeles. We went to La Scala. We had a chopped salad. But uh, the way we connected is I was working at Warner Brothers. You were working at Netflix. And I was kind of on this mission to meet the other MBAs in the entertainment world, uh, which surprisingly there, there aren't many. Um, but you and I connected, and we be- we became fast friends. Now we both have graduated from business school, and you're doing some really interesting things. I'm doing some startup things, so uh, it's great to connect on record here. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm definitely glad you reached out, and I'm glad we connected. Cool. So let's just get into it. Why don't you tell people your be- a little bit about your background, who you are? Yeah, sure. So uh, I, uh, I'm originally from Florida. I, I went to college, uh, undergrad at Georgia Tech, um, studied industrial engineering. Um, the, the reason I did that was because I was trying to look for a balance between uh, something that was engineering and also something closely related to business because I knew I wanted to be in a business capacity after going to school, but I also wanted an engineering degree. Um, and so uh, that was great. I, I did that. Um, and I had an internship um, in, in consulting, um, my junior summer, uh, working at Alvarez and Marsal, and I was doing, um, the restructuring for Lehman Brothers. So that was a really exciting time to kind of move into finance and, uh, kind of see what was happening in like 2008, 2009. And, um, after that, I think I was drawn a little bit more towards the, the finance side of things and, um, was looking to work, uh, in investment banking, um, just coming from Georgia Tech, traditional engineering school, it was a little bit more difficult to recruit into investment banking. So had to leverage my network as much as possible and uh, ended up getting a job at uh, Houlihan Loki um, and was there for about a year. Um, and before after that, I moved to uh, Jeffries 
and was working uh, in the Jeffrey's M&A group um, and did that for about a year. Um, and after I was uh, there for a year or so, I, I decided that, you know, I'd done my two years. I wanted to move on. I was trying to look for jobs either uh, in corporate development or I was looking at private equity. And ultimately, what I realized was that, you know, I really liked finance, but I wanted to move back into an industry where I was really passionate about the product. And so that to me was media. It's something that uh, I grew up with as a kid in middle school and high school. I used to do a lot of TV productions. And so I wanted to move back into uh, the media world. And so I ended up getting a job at Viacom, specifically at uh, Nickelodeon. So I was doing strategy and business development at Nickelodeon uh, for a couple of years and uh, eventually uh, got promoted and moved into their uh, digital publishing team. And that was the team that was working on creating um, apps at Nickelodeon, creating games, um, doing a lot of our digital distribution, working with Apple, Google, Amazon, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I did that for about another year, and then I went back to business school. And the primary reason I went to business school was because I wanted to uh, move into entrepreneurship. So I felt like uh, quitting my job in corporate development and going into business school would allow me this two-year uh, time frame where I could focus on trying to build a business and also get a formal business education just because I didn't have one. I had an engineering background, and so I figured getting some business um, knowledge wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be too bad for me. And so I just graduated this past uh, May, just as you said, um, from uh, from Harvard. And uh, now I'm working to launch uh, a media company called uh, Newsbling. That's so cool. So there's a lot there. You've had a lot of cool jobs. I'd love to get into them. Maybe tell us quickly what what uh, Newsbling is, and then we'll go we'll go back into into some of your some of your path. Yeah, sure. So so Newsbling is. Uh, a media company that I'm launching um, that's supposed to target kind of the white space that I see opening up in the in the news media space. So I think uh, prior to you know the last decade or so, um, it, when you think about news media, the, the news organizations that kind of fall in the center and are reporting the news, um, quote unquote, like accurately, you know, at least to, to public perception, would be companies like CNN, uh, companies like New York Times, etc. And over, over the last couple of decades or so, um, organizations have kind of figured out that, you know, it's, it's more advantageous for them to target their audiences um, based on, you know, either political views or, or, or what their audience wants to hear. And, and, and I think the, the, the genius behind that um, origination was really Fox News. And they really figured out that, like, look, if we cater to a specific audience, it's, we can get us much stronger ratings and, um, you know, really kind of crushed the ratings in, 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 in news television. And so they were really successful at catering to a specific audience and um, were kind of leaving other people in the dust. And so uh, CNN, MSNBC, et cetera, also decided that, hey, like, why don't we cater towards our audience a little bit more? And so what, what's resulted is that there's now kind of been a gap in the news where, you know, um, news organizations are either right-leaning or left-leaning. And then everything else that's happening in the world with like fake news on Facebook and Google and all this kind of stuff has created like a white space in the middle to create um, news that's kind of unbiased and, and, and not spun at all. And so the uh, idea I had was how do we get millennials who don't watch the news, right? Because the average age of a television TV uh, um, news viewer is like 60 years old. So how do we get younger people involved? And I think the, the idea was to basically provide um, unbiased news that's not spun at all um, t- 
to this audience of, of younger people by making it fun and entertaining, um, but also keeping it, you know, as unbiased as possible. And so the, the initial product that I'm essentially launching with is a newsletter. Um, and, and what the newsletter does is it basically brings together headlines from uh, all sides of the news and puts them next to each other and highlights exactly what the bias is, right? So for example, um, if there's an article uh, or if, if the biggest news story of the week is about um, Trump and something related to DACA, then you know we pull together headlines from Fox News, from CNN, from MSNBC, from Breitbart, et cetera, and put them right next to each other. So as a consumer, you can see exactly how each outlet is spinning the story in their own direction, right? So CNN might be spinning a DACA story towards you know more positive elements and 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 finding, hey, look, look at all these great people that run the DACA program that are, um, you know, doing really well now, while, you know, someone on the conservative side who may not be for DACA might point out um, the, the, the negative aspects of DACA, right? Letting people in that um, eventually are becoming criminals and are on, on the DACA program. So you can, you can definitely see how, how each outlet is kind of spinning the, uh, the story in its own way. So, so that's kind of the idea behind, behind Newsbling. That's really cool. And I've been getting your email newsletter now. Um, and I think it's great. It starts off with a nice little funny meme. Then you have the articles and then you have your analysis of here's what this article said, here's what that article said, and you know here's where they differ. And that uh, digestibility of it, I think, is, is really nice because you know, like, I don't really want to read four different articles, but then you say, here, here's the summary of, of it all, which is, which is great. Yeah, I think I think the and an, uh, something that I've learned as I mean, you know, it's been uh, a few weeks now since I've launched this this product, and uh, what's great is I've been getting a lot of user feedback and input. So people have been telling me, "Hey, look, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that." And so from uh, initially, this just launched as um, something where I would just pull together headlines and just put them next to each other and just like let people read the headlines, and because the headlines alone tell you like will show you a lot about how people spin. <laughs> the news stories. And, you know, I'm one of those people that would go on to Breitbart or like, uh, you know, really far right or far left websites like Mother Jones and read the comments and just see like, what are people thinking? And so it's just interesting to see wh- how the other side thinks. And so I, I think just e- even putting the headlines next to each other will will tell you a lot. Um, and what people told me was that, hey, why don't you add a little bit of analysis that kind of explains what's happening? And so I started doing that and and it's gotten some great feedback. That's that's fantastic. And so you you are in Oregon doing this now? Uh yes, I'm in Portland, Oregon right now. Cool. And how's living there? Portland is a great city. You know, I I before I went to business school, I was uh living in New York um and and living in living in Brooklyn. And I think the thing I I most notice about Portland is that it just feel the entire city feels like one big like Brooklyn, but like with its own uh West Coast uh, vibe, which I, which I really, really like. Uh, it's very outdoorsy. You know, I like to hike a lot and bike a lot. And so I I get to bike everywhere. Um, and, and the weather is, is beautiful. It's much better than, than New York, uh, winters. I'll, I'll say that so far. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. One more, one more question here on news bling, and then we'll kind of go back to some of the earlier career stuff. So are you doing this by yourself? Did you meet someone in business school that you're doing this with? How did this, how did this idea come to be? Yeah, sure. So um, this is a, an idea I've had since um, I would say uh, really um, like late last year. Um, I, right now, I'm, I'm doing it by myself. I've I've gotten a lot of 
um, feedback from people who want to get involved. And so I am right now looking actually for for editors to get involved. Um, I'm, I'm looking to build an audience uh, growth team uh, as well. And so I'm, I'm talking to a bunch of people that I'm trying to bring on for, for those types of roles. Um, but th- the idea kind of came out of um, the, the the presidential election, really, um, because th- when the when the election happened, I think a, a lot of people, um, you know, who like to think that, you know, they're educated and they're like in the know and they read all the news and everything, think they kind of know how, where the country is going and how it's thinking. Um, and I think I was one of those people who thought that, oh, you know, like, I feel like I'm a fairly educated person. I read a lot of news and I kind of know what the sentiment is in the country. And I think a lot of people were completely blindsided by, um, you know, the, the the election of Donald Trump and um, myself included. And not because I don't necessarily like him or didn't want him as a president or think he's a terrible person. But like, I, I think I was just more blindsided because everything around me told me that Hillary Clinton would win no matter what. And ultimately what I realized was that I was just living in an echo chamber where I was just hearing the thoughts that were similar to what people around me were thinking. All the news outlets were kind of doing the same thing when in reality there was this whole other side of the conversation that I just had no idea about. And so that's kind of what gave the birth of this of this idea. And I think a lot of it was con- like conversing with other people at business school, talking about ideas, sharing thoughts with them and realizing that like, hey, maybe this is an interesting idea that that I should pursue and work on. So, so that's kind of how it came about, definitely with the help of my friends. Um, and, uh, and right now I'm, I'm working on it um, full time. Right. And you launched it in business school. So what were some of the advantages to doing that? Was it the network? Was it some class you took or something you learned? Um, you know, was it beneficial to be doing this uh, in business school? Well, I, I guess technically I, I just launched this this past month, right? Um, officially. It's something I've been thinking about since since earlier this year. Um, but I would say what really helped me was um, at Harvard, there's a uh, great uh, professor, uh, Anita Elbers, who uh, teaches a uh, entertainment class, which is which is very popular there, and um, entertainment media class. And I, I would say there was a lot of things that I learned from there. There were a lot of things I learned um, in some of the other more tech-related classes that I took that kind of taught me about, you know, launching a tech venture and scaling a tech venture, et cetera. And so... There's definitely a lot of resources in business school that kind of taught me, um, you know, how to launch a company and how to think about how to how to grow a company as well. Um, and then I would say, in terms of resources, the, the the greatest aspect is that you know you can go back to a lot of these professors even after you graduate and say, hey, look, I have this idea that I'm working on. Can you take a look? Like, what do you think? Um, so I think that's that's a great outlet. And then also just the network of your friends and classmates that you make at school is super super helpful because you know, these people are going to be your first audience, right? At least in my case with, with a media company, right? Th- these are the first people that I'm reaching out to and saying, hey, can you guys read this? Can you guys sign up and, and take a look and give me feedback? And an awesome thing is that all these people have been super helpful in providing me with amazing, thoughtful feedback and, and taking the time to do that. And so I think that really helps you develop your product better and then also helps you develop an audience that will share your product with other people. Yeah, totally makes sense. And at uh, at HBS, are a lot of people going into entrepreneurial endeavors? Is that is that a common path? I mean, I assume still the most common is to go to consulting, go work in private equity, go work for Amazon. But I, I would assume there's quite a few entrepreneurials people. Um, there are. I don't know exactly how many there are. I mean, the HBS class is you know over 900 people, so it's fairly large. So. In terms of percentage, it's probably not that big. I would say probably 
around 5% or so. Um, but in absolute numbers, I guess that's, you know, somewhere around like 50 people. So maybe a little bit more than 5% um, are, are pursuing entrepreneurship. So you kind of know who the other people are. So I definitely know the other people in my session who are pr pursuing entrepreneurship. And, and, you know, we connect and exchange a lot of emails. So there's definitely a lot of help there. Um, and really anyone else who's pursuing entrepreneurship at HBS will want to talk to someone else who's pursuing uh, entrepreneurship. So th the network is very tight. And if you reach out to someone, they'll definitely want to look at your product and give you feedback, et cetera. And, and, you know, there's kind of that same expectation in return. So I would say that's, that's all super helpful. Right. And sometimes on this podcast, we talk about this theory of, I think, I think maybe Mark Cuban said it or something, but if you want to be a, you know, a startup founder, forget business school, just take the money that you would spend for business school, start a business, it succeeds, it fails, you're, you're going to learn more than you would learn in business school. But it sounds like from what you're saying is that the connections you made, the classes you took, the uh, access to really incredible professors, I mean, you wouldn't have had this idea had you not gone to business school. Would you say that? Uh, yes, I, I would agree. I think one of the, the best parts about business school is simply the people that you meet and the network that you create alone is worth the the money in my opinion right so i think uh i've met a lot of lot of brilliant people who are doing a lot of different things and i think the beauty of it is that you know if unless if like you know I, I didn't have the opportunity to work in a tech environment prior prior to business school right and so now i feel like i've kind of expanded my network very quickly in two years into all these additional industries including tech and other industries that I was not familiar with before um, that ha have kind of gotten my foot in the door in a lot of different places. And, and I think that is, is really, really worth it. I think Mark Cuban definitely has a point too, right? If you, if you just want to take that 200 grand and, and spend it on trying to launch a business and you'll learn a lot more, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that statement. Um, but also in my case, I think I was trying to trying to look at it as a um, like a risk adjusted kind of kind of measure, right? So for example, I'm going to spend this $200,000 um, on business school, and it's going to take up two years of my time. But at the same time, I'm getting these new skills, which I previously did not have, right, which I think are important, right? So so learning, one, I, I like to learn. So I, I thought that was great. Um, being a part of this like amazing alumni network now, which is which is HBS, I think is, is very strong and very global. So, so that, and then also, Beyond those things, I think it kind of created uh, a personal safety net for me, where in the sense that, okay, I'm going to launch this business, I'm going to, I'm going to run for it, and say if I fail and it doesn't work out, then at least I have this like degree to show for myself, which will get me a job, right? At, at least a decent job, I, I would hope. Um, and, so, and so that was kind of my overall thinking, right? So it was kind of like, it'll force me to get out of my job and allow me to work on a venture. And then, you know, if the venture doesn't work out, then at least I have this degree, which will let me uh, get back into the workforce uh, fairly easily. So, so that's, that was my thinking. Yeah. And I really like that way of thinking. A lot of very smart people have come on this podcast and said that exact same thing. It's cool. Go to business school, take a swing for the fences. If it works great, if not, you have something to, to fall back on. Although everyone I've talked to, that's taken the swing, it's worked. So uh, there's definitely something to be said to just applying yourself, putting yourself out there in the world, taking a risk, seeing what happens. Yep, that's great. Crossing my fingers, I hope I'm one of those. Yeah, I, I think you will. Um, okay, so let's go back to the very beginning here, the investment banking stuff. Um, 
how'd you get that job at Houlihan? You're coming from an engineering school, you said. You, they're not recruiting for investment banking. How'd you get that job? Yeah, it, it's kind of funny, actually. So when I was working at Alvarez and Marsal, um, which uh, I guess for those who may not be familiar, is a uh, primarily a restructuring firm. And um, I, I think they really kind of blew up once they got this deal to, um, to, to restructure Lehman Brothers, uh, representing, um, um, representing Lehman. And while I was there, uh, on the other side of the table, um, the restructuring firm that was hired for uh, some of the creditors was uh, Houlihan Loki. And so I, I kind of got in touch with them there, um, got some connects there, and um, also was able to leverage my personal network. So I knew some people that worked in finance, and I was like, hey, do you know people that might be hiring? And um, was was my email was basically forwarded to someone at Houlihan Loki, I guess, in their HR department. And at the same time, they kind of saw that I was working at Alvarez and Marsal, and so they were familiar with that firm um, as a part of the Lehman uh, restructuring. And so I think it it really just required a lot of hustling and just like following up because you know, like most uh, like m- most investment banks usually are recruiting at very specific uh, colleges. Um, you know, they have their their set recruiting schedule like on the school's like calendar or whatever, right? Um, in, in my case. They were not recruiting officially at Georgia Tech, so I had to somehow like finagle my way into their interview process and whatever. And so um, ultimately, I, I heard back from from the recruiter and was like, "Hey, like you have an interesting background. We're looking to hire someone. Um, why don't you come in for an interview and um, and 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 we'll go from there." And specifically, I got hired into their group, um, which was the uh, financial advisory services group. And so that group focuses on a lot of like technical uh, valuations. So doing a, um, a lot of, um, you know, we, we would do a lot of uh, deal work related to transactions, but also doing a lot of work related to things like, um, uh, you know, like interest rate products and, and derivative products and valuing all those kinds of things um, for really large uh, hedge funds and, and large uh, portfolios that had a lot of illiquid assets. And th- the reason I think they liked my background at the time was because Studying uh, industrial engineering, I specifically was focusing on financial engineering. And so that involves a lot of uh, valuations for these types of things like illiquid assets and figuring out like how how much are they worth? Like how much is a gold mine worth? And how do you figure that out? Right. Uh, That kind of stuff. So I I think they liked the fact that I had a lot of experience, um, a, a lot of technical knowledge and technical experience in like financial engineering. And so they kind of brought me on specifically for that reason. And so it was interesting because um, I, I didn't really have any finance experience, but I was one of the only analysts that knew how to how to value like very specific things like derivatives. Um, and so I think that's why that's kind of why I got hired there. Uh, and then after I was there for, for about a year, I realized that I wanted to to be in more of an environment where I was um, dealing with like operational companies. And so I, I, I found this opportunity at Jefferies again through my network. I had also interviewed at Jefferies actually when I was uh, applying as an, as an undergrad, as a senior, um, but I ultimately got cut during the Super Day, um, I think mostly because I didn't have um, any summer, I didn't have any finance experience uh, technically in terms of like investment banking, and I didn't have any like summer uh, experience either. And so I guess they didn't want to take the bet on me. But after a year of being at Houlihan Loki, they were like, okay, yeah, like you seem like you could be a good person here. So I joined their M&A group. And it was great because I got to work on a lot of um, active deals with with companies, um, and 
specifically focused a lot on um, digital and and media companies, just because that was my interest. And so anytime a deal kind of came up in that space, I either luckily or kind of asked my way on onto the deal. Um, and so that ultimately set me up and helped me a lot to make the jump from um, investment banking into uh, corporate development in, in a media environment. Right. And I kind of think the takeaway from this story is just get your foot, get yourself in the door however you can, and then kind of work your way up from there. I mean, because each one of these roles sounds like it got you a little bit closer to, to what you wanted. Um, right, so, exactly. Yeah. It, was, it was very much, you know, one step at a time. Um, and, and I think you just kind of have to have the long-term goal in mind and kind of figure out, like, how do I get myself there? And it's really hard to just, like, leap, you know, to, to get straight there, right? Like, for example, if I never did investment banking, um, then I wouldn't have ever gotten my job at Nickelodeon, right? Because everyone on that team was an ex-investment banker. Um, and so, and, and if I didn't, you know, get this job at Jefferies, I probably wouldn't have gotten the job at Nickelodeon. And if I didn't get the job at Hulihan Loki, there's no way I would have gotten the job at Jefferies, right? And so, it, like, I feel like life is always just like taking things one step at a time and just kind of keeping the long-term goal in mind and kind of like hustling and working for, the, the short-term uh, steps uh, in, in the immediate future. Right, and it's encouraging. I mean, these aren't like long stops. You're spending a year here, a year there. So it's awesome that you were able to do it all, you know, so quickly, boom, 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 Harvard. Like, that's a nice story. Yeah, and, and I would say the experience and, and the, the track was, was worth it, right, and very enjoyable. Like, I don't, I don't look back and think that, wow, that really sucked that I had to, like, make all these steps and do all these things to kind of like get where I wanted to be. Like I 100% enjoyed the entire ride there, right? Like I think it was really, really exciting because like every year it was like something new and something awesome and something better was happening in my life. And so, you know, I, I think just in terms of like life philosophy, that's just like, I, I always think that if your life now like isn't like better than like what it was like last year, then like maybe you need to like make an adjustment and like make it better to to your liking right because in my case what happened was ever since i've graduated i feel like every single year um it, things have gotten better and so i i like to kind of like set my my life plan in in a direction where like i always feel like i'm making a step closer towards something that i want and so i, I think ultimately I think ever since I came out of college, I always wanted to start a company or ever since I went to college, I wanted to start a company. And so I'm finally making that happen now. And so it's very exciting to kind of just like keep that going. And now hopefully the next step is going to be turning this company into something real and big and and that's going to grow for hopefully a, a long time to come. Totally. Let's get into a couple of business school questions. Did you apply to other schools other than, than, than HBS? How'd you get into HBS? What'd you get on your GMAT? You know, tell us, tell us how you did it. I, I did. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I, uh, so first of all, I only applied to three schools. Um, and one of them was UCLA. That was definitely high on my list. So, um, so UCLA, uh, Harvard and Stanford were the, were the three schools I applied to. Um, and, uh, I, I, uh, I did not get into Stanford. I got into UCLA and Harvard. Um, and ultimately I think I decided to go to Harvard, um, because it was primarily, you know, I, I really liked the big class, um, though I did strongly consider going to UCLA, um, mostly because they were giving a lot of money and I really wanted to live in LA. I think I, I really wanted to, um, get some California sunshine and not be stuck in the Northeast anymore, but, uh, ultimately decided, decided to go to HBS. Um, 
But I think the, my, my path to business school was I actually took the GMAT in college when I was a when I was a junior. So my junior year, or, or maybe it was my sophomore year, one of those summers, um, I actually took a GMAT class uh, through Veritas. And um, I, I, because what I learned was that, you know, the GMAT um, scores last five years, right? And so I figured, okay, if I'm going to go to business school, then it's probably going to be like, within five years of like, uh, graduating, right. Like, like most people do. Um, because I think the average number of years of experience people coming in is usually four to five years. And so by the time I applied, I would, my GMAT would still be valid. And so I ended up taking the GMAT, um, it, it, over the summer after taking a course. And the reason I did that was because I knew that once I graduated and I had a full-time job, it would just be so much more difficult to find time to, to study for it. Right. And so again, just going back to like thinking about your long-term goal, you know, I, I knew that business school was potentially in my, my long-term goal, like vision. And so I was like, let me just take the GMAT now, get it out of the way. I have a lot of time to study. You know, I'm only doing an internship right now. And so I can use that disposable time to, to focus on getting a good score on the GMAT. Um, so I took the GMAT I, um, after I took this class and I got a 680 the first time I remember. And, um, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like the most exciting score, I guess. I, I really was at least shooting for like a 700, um, ended up getting like a 680. And, uh, I was like, okay, well, I, I guess I'll try to take the GMAT again later. Um, ultimately it never happened because I ended up taking it right before the school year started. And then I think I was just caught up with recruiting, et cetera. And I was like, I'll take it later. And, um, ultimately that never happened again later until like five years later. Um, and so when I was working at Nickelodeon, I again started studying uh, for the GMAT. And uh, this time I did a little differently. I actually reused a lot of the Veritas books that I had to study for the GMAT. And then I also um, signed up for, I think, Manhattan GMAT's like online like uh, test and, 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 and got some of their books, which I thought were really, really fantastic. If people are looking for recommendations, I would definitely say the Manhattan GMAT books are really good. Um, and so I, I studied... Um, you know, after, and also what I realized is that when you're working like full time, studying for the GMAT is like so much harder and it just takes so much more time. Um, just because you're tired when you come home from work and you have to like spend a lot of weekends when you like want to hang out in New York, you know, you have to like study. So it's just like kind of annoying, but, and also I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the best like test taker. Um, just because I don't, I don't know. I just get like nervous, like when I'm, when I'm taking tests for some reason. So so I, I wouldn't say I'm the best test taker. And so I feel like I just had, I wanted to study a lot more. And so I studied and um, I took the GMAT again, the April before I applied to business school. So I, I applied to business school in 2014. I started in 2015. And so that April, I, I took the GMAT again after studying for a few months. And I actually did worse than the, the, than the first time. Um, so the first time I got like a 660 and then I took it again and I got like a or sorry, I got a 680. And the second time when I took it, I got a 660. So my score went down. And so that was really disheartening because I was like, what? Like, how did this happen? So then I studied for another month and I was like, you know what? Like, what was basically what was happening was that I was doing really well on the math and I was just not doing well on, on the verbal parts of, of the test. And so I dedicated all of my time to focusing on, on the verbal for a month. And I like read a bunch of resources online that told me how to like make that better. And, um, and, and ultimately I ended up getting uh, a 740. So uh, the third time I took it. Um, and so my score like shot up and I was like very happy. And I think 740 puts you in like the, the 
97th percentile or something like that. And so I felt, I then felt comfortable with my score to be able to apply to, to pretty much like any school. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I'd also like to like emphasize that, you know, the, the GMAT is obviously not the only thing that matters. There's so many other variables that matter. I think really the number one thing that matters is, you know, what is your career trajectory? What is your experience? And like, how did you kind of get to where you are? And like being able to explain that to people and really having a good story, I think is the most important thing for applying to business school. And um, the, the, the GMAT and, the, and, and your GPA, I think are kind of like two check the box kind of items. Um, fortunately, I had, you know, a, a pretty good GPA coming out of coming out of Georgia Tech, being an engineering school. I, I had a pretty solid GPA there. And then um, I had a solid GMAT score as well, eventually. Um, and, and I think one of the common questions people also have is that, you know, does, does taking the GMAT like more than once, like look bad when you're applying? And I don't, I don't think it does, um, necessarily. I think people kind of like to see that you like took it again and you had like a giant improvement. Um, um, it, like in my case, um, because my, my first GMAT score was expired by the time I, I applied. So I only had two scores, um, and so I had a massive improvement in my score and, um, I would say it's really more of like the check the box. Like they kind of want to see that, okay, this person is, you know, relatively smart. Now let's look at their like comprehensive profile and see, you know, what they've done, who they are and like how they've kind how they've gotten to where they are. Yeah. And that makes, that makes sense. So let's get into some of the couple Netflix questions here and then we'll we'll finish up. So Netflix is an interesting place to work. I guess you could say that. Um, what was the, what was the summer internship like there? Yeah, I, I would say I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think, um, Netflix is a great company. I mean, I think I just recently saw this past week that Netflix is now, you know, the second largest media company, uh, in the world, right? Like right after Disney with like an 80 something billion dollar market cap, which is phenomenal. Um, Right. But when you think about it from like a price to earnings um, ratio, it, it's like it's a really, really high price to earnings ratio. So I think a lot of people on on Wall Street are kind of assuming or, or hoping that, you know, Netflix is going to be like very profitable in, in the future. Right. And um, I, I, I don't know if it will or if it won't be. I think one of my personal concerns when I was working at Netflix w- was similar to what a lot of the concerns are for people right now, which is that you know, the content spend is so high. They're spending billions of dollars a year on, on producing content and, and making their own content um, in hopes that, you know, this is going to pay off in the future. And, you know, the growth subscriber numbers are looking fantastic. You know, every single quarter, they're, they're like beating expectations. So I think that's really driving up the stock price a lot. And, um, and, and, and the company is, is growing very, very quickly as well. So when I was there, um, I was I was on their team, uh, which is called content planning and analysis, which is um, the, the team that they kind of recruit a lot of uh, investment banking analysts uh, from or sorry, um, like investment banking analysts go go on to this team. Usually if you're trying to join Netflix, um, this is the team that you would join. So they they basically rec- um, recruit a lot of management consultants and uh, investment bankers who have done a couple of years into, into this group. And it's a very analytical group. So Netflix um, is a, str- a very highly data-driven company. And I think working at um, previous media companies such as Nickelodeon, the thing that I learned about Netflix is that Netflix is not a media company. I would consider Netflix a technology company 
that has like media as kind of like their main product, you know? And, and the reason I say that is because everything at the company is very, very data driven. And so the team that I was on was focusing on, uh, analyzing a lot of the a lot of the streaming data um, and and you know various other data points that Netflix collects, which is they have trillions of data points, and really figuring out you know what shows are working on Netflix, what shows are not working, where should we be investing more of our dollars, um, and there's a lot of complex algorithms and things involved behind this that um, a lot of data scientists are working on and that, and that we got to work closely with. And so from from my perspective, it was really cool because being an engineer and you know always working with a lot of numbers in my life, this place was like pretty awesome because it was a lot of like Excel work and like doing a lot of crazy different types of analysis and using a lot of different statistical models to really figure out like what's working, what's not working and and, and figuring out where where the uh, money should be invested, right? And so when you think about a traditional uh, media company such as uh, a Nickelodeon or, or Viacom or, or anyone else, right? Or, or Disney, they tend to have like, larger creative teams that are working on figuring out like what they should make in terms of content. And I think the beauty of Netflix is that the creative team, at least from what I saw, felt fairly small and tight knit. Um, and, and, and the, the data team and, and, and the data scientist and the people that were analyzing all the data was like a massive team. And so they would help inform the creative team what types of things um, that Netflix should be making, right? So to, to kind of give you a, a rundown of how this works, the, the very, the, the top of the funnel would be like viewers watching this data, or, or sorry, watching the shows, right? So if you're a, a Netflix consumer, you're watching um, shows, they're collecting all these data points, right? Now these data points come in and the next level is going to be, you know, a, a, there's going to be a ton of data scientists who are, who are, taking these trillions of data points and parsing them down into a smaller, smaller group. And then from there, they're going to, they're going to come down to um, data scientists who kind of rehash that data into like a smaller subset. And then ultimately the team that I was on would be the liaison between a lot of these, um, the, the data scientists and PhDs who are creating the algorithms and uh, parsing all the data and between the, um, the, the business and, and, the more formal business and creative teams who need that data uh, analyzed and, and interpreted for them. And so we were kind of that, that middleman in between that would take that data, analyze it, interpret it, and provide findings to the management team um, and then also to the creative team to, to, so that they knew um, w- what uh, we should be investing in and where we should be spending our money. So that right. was – that was it. Yeah. Yeah. That data driven approach. That's what Netflix is famous for. Really cool. It's also famous for this kind of interesting culture where they say we want to pay people the most, but we want the best people here. And we're just going to be very transparent with how we feel about you. We're going to fire you. There's unlimited vacation. So as an intern, I mean, how'd you find that? Did anyone ever come up to you and say, Nipur, I know you're an intern, but what you did here sucks. You suck. Change this. Like, how'd you, uh, yeah. Is that how it worked? I think one of the things that I appreciated most about Netflix is that they are not shy to let you know when you're doing something wrong or when you're doing something right, right? And I think that's a great approach. I think that's something that I would love to implement personally in in any company that I build in the future is this open transparency and like not coddling people, right? And I mean, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, they weren't respectful of people, very respectful, um, right? But I, I think the idea is if someone is not, performing well or not doing something right, then like you should definitely tell them that like, hey, you should improve here rather than just like waiting and hoping that they're going to be better at what they're doing, right? Because if you don't tell someone that they're doing something wrong, they don't know they're 
they probably don't know they're doing it wrong, right? Or they don't know they're doing something wrong. Um, and so th they need to be kind of told that. But I think one thing that I would like to say is that people tend to to hear this and think that, oh my God, Netflix must be like a crazy place to work and it has like a crazy culture. But like, I didn't feel that way at all. In fact, I would say it was like, less harsh than like an investment banking environment right so if you've done investment banking then i think there's like you're definitely going to be fine and, and a lot of the people there were ex-investment bankers right the team that i was working on a lot of the other um analysts on the team also came from uh, uh investment banking or or like bain bcg mckinsey right so they were all in investment bankers are consultants. And so they've come from environments where, you know, there's a high expectation. And so I think for people on the team that I was working on, it wasn't like as big of like a cultural shift. Um, but I definitely would say if I only worked at Nickelodeon and then, and then I came to Netflix, I would be like, wow, like this is kind of like an intense like work environment, right? And, and you know, I, I know you've worked in investment banking too. And so like, I don't think you would find it as shocking. But if you've never worked in that type of an, an, an environment, then it might seem a little shocking um in the beginning right um because it, it it can definitely kind of catch you off guard right because people aren't gonna like you know coddle you and like you know tell you pat you on the head and be like okay it's okay like go fix it and like we'll figure this out later it's gonna be more of like a you know let's sit down and like tell you that like you're doing this wrong and can you can you fix it um but i think that also allows netflix to to, to, to kind of say, hey, like, you know, we're going to hire the best people. We're going to attract the best people because one of the things I felt while I worked there was that everyone here is really, really smart. So I, I really enjoyed that. Like, you know, one of the things I felt about business school was that when I was at HBS, I was like, man, everyone here is really smart. And it's amazing to be around so many people who are so driven and like such hard workers and like so smart about what they do and what they know that, you know, you kind of get that similar feeling uh, at Netflix when I was working there. And I really appreciated that because there's no like slackers. There's no one that's like, just kind of, you know, th there to make a lot of money and like hang out. Right. Everyone is there to like work hard and like grow this company, which I thought was super awesome. And yeah, they definitely pay a lot of money. And that's, that's a great reason for, um, that's a great way for them to, to, to kind of, uh, attract the best people as well. Right. Even though it's obviously not all about money, but like, I think it's, it's a part of the equation when it comes to, you know, pay and, um, you know, prestige and just like being a part of a company that's like in the, you know, public sphere a lot in general. Yeah. And that's definitely fun to hear about. So Nipur, this was great. Let's leave it with how people can find news bling, maybe a last piece of advice you have for, for anybody out there trying to get into business school, start their own business. And, uh, and yeah, that'll be it. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get into business school, um, just, start planning ahead always. I think, I think it's kind of like m m my mantra and, um, uh, I, I hope everyone signs up for Newsbling and, and checks it out. The, the, the link to sign up is signup.newsbling.co or you can just go to newsbling.co, um, which is a, a medium page and kind of like where we're hosting a, a blog and you can sign up through there. But, uh, again, it's signup.newsbling.co and uh, I hope people sign up and, and check it out and feel free to provide me with any feedback. Cool. Uh, I'm sure they will. So, Nupur, this was great. Thanks for talking with us. Great. Thanks, Alex. Okay. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Until then, leave us a review on iTunes or send me an email, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. Thanks.